Open the Word of God with me this morning to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. For any others, listen to this sermon at a different time and a different place. I suggest that you read Amos chapter 4, Luke chapter 16, and consider the two verses, Acts chapter 24, verses 24 and 25, where the Apostle Paul reasoned with Governor Felix about righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And the governor trembled, but he said he would get serious about it in a convenient season. In Amos chapter 4, God said through his prophet, Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel. Today we want to use to help us prepare to meet our God. Paul would write us in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. You can avoid judgment, just make sure you don't die. Because judgment comes after death. Death is nothing in comparison to what comes after death. It is appointed and you will keep the appointment. There is no discharge in this war. Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment, and it's far worse than death. We want to consider what the Bible has to say about hell today. God sent prophets to Israel often, but they would not hear, as you read in Amos chapter 4. God is faithful, especially to his friends, so Jesus Christ clearly warned about hell fire even to his friends. And I want you to remember that today. You're my friends. I'm your friend. I warn you about the most important event coming up in your life, and it certainly isn't death. It's what comes after death. Jesus preached and warned more about hell than any other speaker or writer in the New Testament or the Bible. He preached more about hell than about heaven, which helps us keep the danger front and center. Paul was a faithful apostle, so he persuaded men due to the coming terror of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11, through 11, I'm commanded to warn you, or your blood will be on my hands. We have studied Acts chapter 2 recently, but the hell there that was warned about is not, the hell that we're dealing with today is not the grave of Acts chapter 2 and verse 27 that came from Psalm 16. This is hell, the lake of fire, where all the wicked will be cast to join the devil and his angels. It was designed for them, and it's perfectly accommodating for men. There is pain and suffering, far worse than Jerusalem's end, and far worse than you can even imagine that we want to avoid. God's men must preach the whole counsel of God and hold back nothing profitable for your souls, and so it's time for a warning like this. We here must deal with the second death, the lake of fire, and the terrible day of judgment that's coming. I will preach this subject as Jesus and Paul did, without regard to worrying about some fatalistic application of salvation at the same time. They did not do that. 
because it's time to get our attention. And they understood that you don't preach out of both sides of your mouth at the same time. There's truth about hell. There's a terrible danger about hell. And there's a way for you to avoid it when you're dealing with that danger, and that is your obedience. Because that's the issue. Yes, Jesus died, but he only died for those that obey. If you're not obeying, you don't have any claim to his death to avoid the lake of fire. The world will not mention eternal consequences, so we have to come apart into this place to be reminded of something that's often mentioned in the Bible, but the world never thinks about. Because the world is wrapped up with what they can see and recognize with their mere senses, rather than the real things that are going on around them and after them. Without real authority and judgment, which you've never seen real authority, and you've never been under real judgment, like in the case of Pharaoh or Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar, it's hard for you to imagine the God that I'm going to preach today. But the God that I'm going to preach today is in the Bible, and he has been revealed to you, the wrath of God has been revealed to you, and that you know him, but it is the effort of men to not humble themselves before the Creator, but to worship and exalt the creature instead. Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, tells us the wrath of God has been made manifestly clear and plain to all men. His eternal power and Godhead is so clear they are without excuse. But their heart has been darkened and they have turned away and God has rewired them and given them over to a reprobate mind. We reject word games with words like Hades or Gehenna. There is heaven and hell and paradise and the lake of fire. I couldn't care less about Hades, and I couldn't care less about Gehenna. You don't need to know about either of them. There's paradise, which is Abraham's bosom, which is the third heaven. And there's hell, which is also the lake of fire. If what I'm about to show you from the Bible is half true, then you owe God 200% obedience. An expected outcome of even 1% probability of hell overwhelmingly demands your full evaluation of the subject. An expected outcome or an expected value is when you take a certain result that could happen and multiply it by its probability of occurrence. And there may be five or ten outcomes in a particular equation with different probabilities of occurrence. And when you add those probabilities of the various outcomes up, you come up with an expected value or an expected outcome. The point that I'm making is, if there's only a 1% chance that there is a hell of, called the lake of fire like the Bible describes, it deserves your undivided evaluation of it. Because 1% times eternal torment is an infinite measure of pain. Men try to get rid of hell all kinds of ways. They play word games with Hades and Gehenna. They have a grace revolution where God's grace is now being revealed in a fuller way than men have known it before. They come up with annihilation like the Jehovah's Witnesses. They come up with soul sleep like the Seventh-day Adventists. They come up with unconverted elect like the Primitive Baptists. They come up with universalism like the primitive Baptists and many others. 
They come up with hell being only a life experience of not having sufficient self-esteem, like Robert Schuller. They come up with the fact that hell is only a parable in Luke chapter 16, and so you don't need to worry about it. It's just a general lesson of a parable. And so they try to get rid of hell. And I don't blame them. I don't blame them. If there was a way that we could get rid of hell, we would get rid of it. But there isn't a way. Because the word of God that conveys to us the knowledge and understanding of all things of time and eternity, which was just presented to you from Psalm 119, tells us that there is a hell. And so we humble ourselves and submit to it. Why is hell no longer preached? Who wants to hear about hell? What has been the consequence of not preaching about it? We are in the perilous times. Hell, fire, and brimstone is a descriptive phrase used to describe preaching that took place in prior generations. Even Arminians knew how to preach it. Billy Graham and his crusades of the 60s and 70s preached hell, fire, and brimstone. I preached, is there a burning hell to you? But it was in the year 2000. I preached the judgment seat of Christ to you, but it was the year 2002. You've had way too much comfort. It's time for this lesson. And so let's look at Luke chapter 11 and see some warnings about hell. Prepare to meet thy God. Some of you, as I look out and think about your ages, you are racing towards your appointment to meet God. The rich man died and lifted up his eyes in hell. Let's prepare to meet our God. We're all appointed to die, but after death comes the judgment. And that's what we want to deal with today. In Luke chapter 11, the Lord Jesus Christ is rebuking the scribes and the Pharisees and explaining in verse 51 that all the blood from Abel to Zacharias is going to be exacted from that generation. Luke eleven fifty-one. He tells them, Woe unto you lawyers, for you've taken away the key of knowledge. That knowledge is in God's word. That knowledge and understanding you heard about from Psalm 119. Verses 97 through 100. Woe unto you lawyers, for ye have taken away the key of knowledge. Ye entered not in yourselves, and that is into the kingdom of heaven, and them that were entering in, ye hindered. Now the Pharisees were the most conservative religious leaders of the Jews, and this is how they responded to be rebuked by the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he said these things unto them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to urge him vehemently, and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Notice the conflict that comes up when Jesus Christ preaches. Men hate him. And these are the most conservative religious leaders of his day of the Jews. The Jews only had the religion of God in the world, and the Pharisees had the most conservative denomination of that religion. And yet this is what they did to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have this conflict, and Jesus Christ now takes up a little bit of doctrine about them and what his disciples, his friends, ought to remember. And so we come into chapter 12. In the meantime... That is, while this was taking place between him and the Pharisees, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, there is a crowd gathering around the Lord Jesus Christ. 
They are pressing to get within hearing distance of the Son of God. They are walking upon each other. They are trampling each other to get to Christ. Do you want to hear him that bad this morning? Do you really want to hear him? What he's about to say? Well, they were trotting upon each other as the crowd pressed in upon him to be able to hear what he had to say. The Pharisees were rejecting him and vehemently urging him to speak of many things to see if they could catch him in some words. But others just wanted to hear the words from his lips that they might have understanding and that they might know what they ought to do in their lives. And so here we go. Beware ye of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He identified those religious leaders as hypocrites. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. Therefore, whatsoever ye have spoken in darkness shall be heard in the light, and that which ye have spoken in the ear in closets shall be proclaimed upon the housetops. Now hear me, and I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you, whom ye shall fear, fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Amen. These are our words to get started. Right here, Luke 12, verses 4 and 5. Never forget them. When Jesus spoke to his friends about religion, look what he said. His friends about religion. Be not afraid of them that kill the body. Some of you are so afraid of dying. Some of you are so worried about your health. It staggers me. I do not understand it. Physical health is so insignificant compared to your eternal destiny. There will be more on this point. Because you are very distracted by the devil to worry about your health instead of worrying about your soul. Right. It's your soul that counts. Can't you tell that by these words? Here in the fourth verse, be not afraid of them that kill the body. It's a normal thing to be afraid of them that kill the body, but Jesus said, don't do it. Right. And after that, have no more that they can do. They can only kill your body because your soul is beyond their reach. Right. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him. Not them. It's them in verse 4. It's him in verse 5 because it's God in verse 5. Fear him. It tells us in verse 5, which after he hath killed, because God has the power and the right and the will to kill you, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. The world says no fear. The Bible says fear more. The world says, no fear. The Bible says, fear God. The world says, fear death. Don't eat red meat. Don't let your cholesterol get above 180. Jesus says, forget your body. And fear him, which can throw your soul into hell. This is what Jesus taught. And this is what Jesus taught to his friends. Right. He spoke, first of all, to his disciples. These disciples, some of them were going to be his ministers. Because if you look at the context in Matthew 10, 
And if you look at the context here, these men were going to preach his gospel because he tells them not to worry about what they're going to say when they're brought before magistrates because he will give them what to say. Why don't you turn to Matthew chapter 10 so that we can see Matthew's version of the same statement by our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 10. Warnings about hell. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. And let's see how far we can get in what Jesus said about hell. Matthew 10 and verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body. Matthew 10, 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. This is the Bible. This is the gospel. This is reasoning of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. And that's what I'm going to do with you today. The context shows us that these were disciples, and I am now back in Luke chapter 12. There are 12 points that I think we can quickly learn from these two verses of Luke 12, 4, and 5. And I don't want to be theological or soteriological or eschatological, but I want to be practical. I want you to reach for righteousness and to lay up and store a good foundation against the time to come that you might lay hold on eternal life by fearing the punishment of hell as Jesus used it. Number one point, it is appropriate even with friends to remind one another about the danger of hell. We ought to do that from time to time. Jesus did it with his friends. We should do it. Two, fear of death is natural and ordinary for all men, but it is actually a distracting fear that will keep you from being a real Christian and it will keep you from heaven the way Jesus would present it. It's going to send you to hell if you want to worry about your body. Because you are putting something in front of your soul that is irrelevant. It's a distracting nuisance. What about your soul? What about your righteousness? What about your temperance? What about denying ungodly lust? What about your relationships? What about your peace? What about your joy? What about your godliness? If you don't have those things, you're on your way to hell. Why are you worried about your body? Number three, death and dying by any cause, even hateful violence, should not move Christians. I had occasion recently to describe to you being hung, drawn, and quartered. It's just a nuisance. You've never read about anybody dying by being hung, drawn, and quartered. It was terrible sounding. Some of you probably thought that I was going too far with your children in attendance. Jesus would say that being hung, drawn, and quartered is just a little nuisance. Who cares? Compared to your soul. Number four, a part of man exists separate from his body. So you can reject soul sleep and the doctrine of annihilation. There is a part of you that exists separate from your body. And it's more important than your body. This other part, number five, this other part of man cannot be hurt materially by men, for it is far beyond their reach. Number six, 
The resurrection reunites the spirit and the body of all men together so that your eternal destiny will be with your spirit and with your body. All taught in these two verses and in Matthew 10, 28, which is Matthew's version of Luke's account. Number seven, God has the power and will to kill your body if the case in his wisdom calls for it. Or I should say, when the case in his wisdom calls for it, because it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. He will take your physical bodily life. Number eight, God has the power and will to throw your spirit into hell. So reject any universalism. God sends people to hell because the verses say so. And yet there is a mad rush today to preach universalism, and that is everyone goes to heaven. It is the fastest growing doctrine in America. There is no hell. Everyone's going to heaven. But Jesus said, God has the power to cast into hell. And he wouldn't have used it as a motive for fear unless it was a real thing that would happen. Number nine, God's power and will to throw the spirit of man into hell ought to cause you fear. Even among friends of Jesus Christ, hell, by comparison to physical death, is eternal torment of both the human body and the human spirit. Torment to destroy both body and soul in hell. Number 11, a chief lesson is to learn is to learn to live to please God and disregard expectations or threats of men. The last thing you ought to worry about is what other men think of you. The last thing you ought to worry about is what men can do to you. The last thing you ought to worry about is what eating McDonald's french fries is doing to you. What you ought to worry about is righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Unbelievable what people worry about. Some of you are worried about alternative medicine, eating healthily, healthy. Are you kidding me? You're not going to alter your life expectancy or anything, and you're certainly not going to alter what's important. And that is your soul. Let's get real. But it is so easy to be distracted with all these other cares and concerns. It's so easy not to miss a doctor's appointment. Why would you worry about making it to your doctor's appointment? How about making it to the house of God and getting down on your knees with the word of God to find out what's coming after death, which your doctor can't even slow down? Let's get real. Jesus was real. He said, fear not them which kill the body. There's an ordinary process taking place, and it's a natural process taking place in all of us, and you're not going to stop it. It's going to kill our bodies. Let's just accept that, and let's get excited, motivated, and embrace, and get convicted and committed to what does count. And that is, where does my soul go after death? That's what counts. Lesson and then point number 12, another lesson that we want to get is overminding earthly things that I've just been mentioning. Those are 12 points that jump off the page if you look at these two verses, Luke 12, 4, and 5. And I can't review the 12 points because just to mention a, strong, a long list of 12 points is too much for the, your mind. There are other related lessons to learn from this passage that are found in the context. Verse 1, beware of hypocrisy. What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy going through the outward motions of religion while you're living in sin. 
What sin are you living in? If your relationships aren't perfect the way God describes them, you're living in sin. If you're not saving money and accumulating it, you're living in sin. If you don't control your speech, you're living in sin. If you're looking at porn and not being excited by your wife's breast and satisfied by them, you're living in sin. If you're not submissive and reverencing your husband, you're living in sin and you're going to hell. Beware of hypocrisy. Do you think there's Pharisees in heaven? The only Pharisees that are in heaven are Pharisees that repented of being Pharisees and fell on the mercy of God like the publican did. Beware of the leaven or the doctrine of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So let's see that in the context. Verse 2, because here's what's going to happen to hypocrites. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. A hypocrite can go to church and pretend everything is fine, but it is all going to be exposed. I recall the first Jack Trick, Jack Chick track. Do you remember the first Jack Chick track? This is your life. Now in this little track, it showed Joe standing before the judgment seat of Christ and a huge movie screen popping up and showing everything Joe had done during his life. And he is screaming for the projector to be shut off. Very graphic picture of Luke 12.2. Because Luke 12.2 says, There is nothing covered that shall not be revealed, neither hid that shall not be known. What are you hiding? What are you thinking you're hiding from us? The Lord sees it all. All things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And he's going to expose it all. Everything we've ever done, every secret thing, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 14, shall be brought into the light, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And we will give an account of our lives before the holy tribunal of God. So verse 2 tells us that Jesus promised all the sins of hypocrites that they cover and hide will be exposed. What is the last thing that you want other people to know about you? What thought? What fantasy? What speech? What relationship is the last thing you want somebody else to know about you? It's all coming out. And God is going to expose it. So beware of hypocrisy. Because it's not going to work. Verses 5 and 6. Verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two farthings? And not one of them is forgotten before God. But even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. For those that repent of their sins and put their trust in Christ, they may have confidence that God takes care of them like he takes care of sparrows. But the only way, the only way you can know that God is taking care of you is to obey him. And that means to cut off your right hand, cut off your right foot and pluck out your right eye. Or it is all a sham game that you're playing with God and it will not get you one inch toward heaven. 
He, if he do, if we're to give all diligence to make our calling and election sure. And if he do these things, ye shall never fall. If he do these things, ye shall never fall. It has nothing about what you say. It has nothing about what you think. If he do these things. And those things are the things of righteousness and temperance listed in 2 Peter chapter 1. They are the things of Christian character in Psalm 15. Five verses, Psalm 15, gets to the end and says, He that doeth these things shall never be moved. Because it's a life of character, it's a character issue. It's a life of character that is the evidence of eternal life. If you don't reverence your husband, you don't have the character that gets into heaven. If you get angry and blow off your mouth at children, at a husband, at our government, you are not going to heaven. And I'll show you before I'm done. You're going to hell, and it's where you belong. Because you have proved yourself to be of the character of the devil and of the Pharisees. Verses 8 and 9. Also I say unto you, whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. How open and public is your confession of the Lord Jesus Christ? <clears throat> open and public, known by all men. And then it better be matched up with your deeds. Because just opening your mouth means nothing to Jesus Christ. Many are going to say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? I was one of your preachers. He will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. But this passage, and I'm not going to alter this passage. This is the word of God. If you're afraid to confess Jesus Christ before men, God isn't going to confess you before his angels. Jesus Christ will not confess you before his angels. There should be no fear of men. This is how Jesus spoke to his friends. You shouldn't care what other people think of you, and you shouldn't care what other people can do to you, even killing your body, even hanging you, drawing you, and quartering you. You shouldn't fear that. And so we have Luke 12, 4 and 5. Persecution by enemies should not terrify the disciples of Jesus Christ. God is much more to be feared than what they can do to you. So go preach. Go live a righteous life. Go confess Christ. There is something far worse than death, and that is fiery eternal torment of your body and soul after death. All that Jews or Romans could do then to the disciples of Jesus or Isis can do today is to torture and kill your body. It's just a nuisance. It's a mosquito. It's a gnat. In comparison to an eternity in hell, how long did you survive being hung, drawn, and quartered? Just a few minutes. Right. How long is eternity? It's forever and ever and ever. And the fire is not quenched. Right. And ever and ever and ever. And the worm dieth not. And ever and ever and ever. And there is no let up. It's the word of God. It's everlasting punishment from the presence of the Lord. Examples of martyr deaths, which we had in the year 2015 or sometime recently, are nothing compared to hell as Jesus intended right here. 
And murder deaths were terrible things. The way some of our murdered fathers died was terrible. But Jesus is dealing with martyrdom right here. Do not be afraid of being a martyr. Be afraid of what happens after being a martyr. Men fear cancer. Oh, I never want to hear the C word. You don't want to hear the H word. Embrace the C word. You don't want to hear the H word. They don't want a heart attack. I guess that's an H word. And other ways of dying, but they neglect the real danger. Obsession about your physical health shows incredible stupidity while your soul is at risk and your soul is at risk. Prove that it's not. Prove that it's not. I accepted Jesus. That isn't proof of anything. The devil's accepted Jesus better than you could. Show by your life a changed life. You that are angry and blow off your mouths, never do it again. Let your lips drip graciousness for the rest of your lives. You that are bitter and moody and negative and critical, get over it and be praising, commending, thankful, and loving. Change! Or you're going to hell. That is what the Bible teaches. If it's something you're looking at and you can't get over it, pluck out your right eye. Destroy your computers. Destroy your television. Destroy your smartphone. You don't need any of those three things. You'd be happier without them, not even considering the spiritual benefit. Cut off your right foot. If you're tempted to go to a certain place that tempts you towards sin, don't go there. Go through life, halt. That's what Jesus said. Fear of hell alone is not the noble response, for that is the devilish fear of pain by sinners. It's the fear of God that can send to hell. That's what Jesus said. The real fear of God will result in an altered and changed life to please Him better. You will cast off sin to live righteously, and you will not be afraid of men, what they say about you, what they think of you, or what they might do to you. You'll be a disciple that stands up for the Lord Jesus Christ and never be afraid if you fear God the right way. Because they can't hurt you. They can't touch your soul. But He can touch your body and your soul. He can kill both and torment both forever in the lake of fire. Rule your fear. Not like Adam's devilish intimidation in the Garden of Eden, but like Isaiah and Paul. Isaiah's response to his fear of a sight of the Holy God when he said, Woe is me! And that is how we should first respond. Then when God says, Who will go for us? Here am I. Send me. I'll do anything you want, God. What your Bible says about marriage, I will do it. I will do it exactly the way your Bible says. I will not try to protect myself and cheat and compromise my marriage to protect myself and abuse my husband. I will give myself to marriage just the way the Bible says. That is, here am I, send me. I will get rid of porn out of my life. I will use whatever is necessary to get rid of porn out of my life because you have said, who will go for us? Here am I, send me. The Apostle Paul said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And that's what we come together for, is to hear what God wants us to do. He wants us to live righteously. He wants us to live temperately because of judgment to come. 
Knowledge of salvation does not end our duty to fear. These were disciples and friends of Jesus, and I hope you've seen that point. We cannot be fatalists and ignore the motive that Jesus himself used with his friends. We can't just all the time be talking about we're God's elect, we're the very small remnant in the world, and we're all on our way to heaven. How do you know you're on your way to heaven? We haven't seen it yet. And it's visible. People that are going to heaven are visible. It's the way they serve the Lord. It's the diligence and the zeal they have in their lives for righteousness and for the cause of Christ and for the church of God. They don't just attend. Attendance has never been an evidence of anybody for anything. It's a changed life. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him which after he hath killed hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. Turn over four chapters to Luke 16. Luke 16, verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, he lift up his eyes. And in hell, he lift up his eyes. Being in torments. Being in torments. And seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you there is a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went unto them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Amen and amen. Amen. What can we learn from this passage about its warning concerning hell? There are but two places after death. The fires of hell or the paradise of God, period. 
There's no limbo and there's no purgatory. There's heaven and there's hell. Blessings on earth, which cause men to presume safety, are quickly and totally irrelevant. That man must be living right, the world says, about a man that's being prospered. Know the rich prosper in this world. They're wrong. They've got it backwards. Blessings on earth, which cause men to think that they are safe and that God is approving of their lives, are, is quickly and totally irrelevant, those blessings. They all disappear because there's going to be a great reversal of fortune. You in your lifetime, son, were comforted. Now you get to be tormented because Lazarus was tormented in this world and now he's being comforted. Which life would you rather have? Torment now because you're poor and beggarly and riches and comfort later or riches and comfort now like the rich man to be tormented forever? The next thing the rich man knew after death was exceeding great torment in hellfire. Hell is a place of torment. It's not soul sleep. It's soul pain. It's bodily pain. God knows pain better than you can imagine it at any time. No one in this assembly has ever experienced any pain. You don't have any idea of pain. The pain that God can cause in body and soul combined together is unbelievable because he's the infinite God. He can think and imagine things that you can't even think about or imagine. It's not being hung, drawn, and quartered. It's far worse than that. There were many Christians that had been hung, drawn, and quartered that were singing while they were being hung, drawn, and quartered and praying for forgiveness on their captors because it wasn't all that much pain. But there is pain in hell that is far worse. One drip of water on a finger for a tongue? Are you kidding me? The thought of one drop of water on your parched tongue is an idea worth seeking deliverance from. There is no travel between destinations. Did you hear the clarity of that fixed chasm that there is? That gulf that is fixed between heaven and hell so that no one can travel in either direction. No helper from heaven can come and help you. No pastor is going to come down from heaven to help you. No parent, no grandparent is going to come down from heaven to help you. No soul winner is going to come. No one's going to come. Not even Jesus is going to come. The Apostle Paul isn't going to come from heaven to help you. You are irreparably, forever, eternally, perpetually lost, lost, lost. When you wake up in hell one second after you take your last breath, there's no helper coming from heaven and there's no escape from hell to go to heaven. So those in hell are locked there without help. And those in heaven are preserved there. And they can't go after anyone they might feel sorry for if they feel sorry for anyone there once they're in the presence of God. The memory of good times in this life are possible, but they don't bring any comfort whatsoever. The rich man is not comforted because of the good times he had in this life. All he can think about is the eternal torment that he's experiencing right then. The way to avoid hell, according to Abraham, is to pay attention to, in church to Scripture. Right. See, I get to watch all of you. I know who reads their Bible. I know who looks at your cell phone. I know who reads the hymnal. I know who daydreams. Because I can tell. I know who dozes. And see, it doesn't matter what I think. I'm just telling you that I can see it. God can certainly see it. Right. 
you're going to hell. It's that simple. You're going to hell. That's what Jesus said in this story that he told about the rich man and Lazarus. Because when the rich man said, I don't want my five brothers to come here. Jesus, through Abraham, said, the way not to come here is through the law and the prophets. What are the law and the prophets? It's the word of God. What is the word of God? What we ought to do to please God. It is what I gave you in Deuteronomy chapter 10 yesterday. And that is to fear the Lord thy God and to love the Lord thy God and to keep all of his commandments and to walk in all his ways. That was taught in both Testaments. That's the law and the prophets and that's the gospel. To obey the Bible and what God says for you to do. And so that is the means of avoiding hell. You say, but, 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 but what about Jesus dying on the cross? I wonder why Jesus didn't bring himself up about dying on the cross. Because Jesus only died on the cross for those that obey him. You say, show me that in the Bible. I was hoping you would ask. It is Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9, and I'll read it to you if you can't get there in a hurry. Hebrews 5, 9. Jesus had been made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. See, I'm done with Hebrews 5, 9. You can come back to Luke chapter 16. It is them that obey him. The way to avoid hell, according to Abraham, is to pay attention in church. We only come here for a few hours. You pay attention to some of the worst junk possible for many hours a week. You will go and sit in the waiting room of a doctor to see a doctor who can't help you and who will take your money. We don't want your money here because you don't have enough to help us. But you ought to be here to hear the word of God. To hear the scriptures. To hear the things that nobody else knows about. There's no doctor's office on earth unless he happens to be a Christian doctor and there's precious few of them that know anything about the things I'm talking about. Because the things I'm talking about are in the Word of God. And I say for the third time, Psalm 119, verses 97 through 100, through thy precepts I gain understanding. And I have your precepts with me at all times. I meditate on them and I keep them, which gives me understanding above my enemies, above my teachers, and above the ancients. And what does it tell us? It tells us there's a fiery hell. And it tells us how not to go there. And right there we have it in Luke 16. And I'm not going to modify this. Why do you want it modified, you fatalist? I'm going to tell you why you want it modified. You want Jesus to do everything for you because you don't want to live a righteous life. You don't want to change your life. You don't want to repent. You don't want to conform yourself. You don't want to be transformed. You like this world. You like the things of this life. Well, Jesus didn't offer himself on the cross in Luke 16. What Jesus did in Luke 16 was say, they have Moses and the prophets. And there was enough there to keep them out of hell. And the rich man said, they don't like church. Church is too boring for them. They would rather stay home. And when they go, they look at their cell phone, they read the hymnal, they read the Bible, because they don't really like to hear preaching. If someone would go back to them from the dead, they would repent. And Jesus, through Abraham, said, 
if they don't like preaching, they're going to hell and there is no way to save them from hell because they will not repent no matter what we were to do for them if they don't like preaching. I wish I were a better preacher, but I don't care that I'm not a good preacher. You should love having the word of God open and explained to you. Because if you don't, you're going to hell. You say that sounds awfully severe and strict. I totally agree with you on that sentence. But it's what I read in Luke 16. If If you care about five relatives, then you ought to have them in here. If you care about yourself, you want to be here. Despise not prophesyings. First Thessalonians chapter 5. If preaching of God's word does not excite you, then you are dead and going to hell. If the preaching of God's word does not change your marriage, does not change your moods, does not change your speech, does not change your finances, does not change your thoughts, does not change your television, you are dead and going to hell. Because he is the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen.